grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, the Alpha, the Omega, Jesus Christ. Bill Dunn was a homeless person who met a mad scientist. The mad scientist shared with Bill an experimental drug. When Bill took it, he was given the ability to control people's thoughts, to predict the future, and to read people's thoughts as well. He used these superpowers for his own mischievous game, that is, until the medication wore off, and then he was back being a homeless person again. That was a science fiction short story written by Jerry Siegler, and he tried desperately to get this story published. But publication after publication refused to publish the story about Bill Dunn because it was too weird, it was too dark, and they didn't think it would sell very well. And so Mr. Siegler got together with his buddy Joe Shuster, who was an artist, who was an illustrator, and they went back to the literal drawing board. They changed some things about Bill Dunn. First of all, they changed that whole thing about being a homeless person. They made him instead into an alien. And they changed the fact that he got his powers from an experimental drug. Instead, they said that his powers came from the fact that he was from a different planet. And on our planet, he had special powers. And they changed his name from Bill Dunn to Kal L, or Clark Kent, or Superman. That's right, the, the origin story of how Superman came to be originally was this weird story about this guy who takes a drug and becomes the most powerful being on planet Earth. And they made stylistic decisions to change it, not because they believed in the story of Superman, but so that they could sell it to a publication and make money. The only reason Superman is a good guy is because that was a change they decided to make so that they could sell more stories. But it seems like they changed everything from Bill Dunn to Superman, but one thing they kept the same, didn't they? This core motif, this core theme, that things are not always as they appear. Bill Dunn is a homeless person, but you wouldn't be able to tell from looking at it, but he has these powers over your very thoughts. Clark Kent is a polite, unassuming young man from Smallville working for a newspaper, but you wouldn't realize that he's actually this omnipotent superhero, Superman. Things are not always what they appear. And that can be good, like with Superman, or that can be bad, like with Bill Dunn. This person could be someone who has power over your thoughts, and that can be scary, but when a uh, uh, alien force that has way more power than you or I have comes to Earth, we're going to be glad that Superman is there. That core motif, that core theme that things are not always as they appear is one of the central themes of the book of Daniel. But we're not talking about comic books, we're not talking about selling stories, we're talking about reality. How did things appear to Daniel? as he was under the control, under the rule of first Babylon, and then later Persia, as Persia came in 
and assassinated the Babylonian king and took over. Daniel, a mere Israelite, a mere Jew, sitting there experiencing these vast changes of world powers, he probably felt like a, a reed being blown in the winds of history. But God sends Daniel vision after vision to show him what's really going on, that things are not as they appear. And that's what you and I need to take from this as well. So after a series of visions, Daniel continues looking, and he says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands attended him, ten thousands thousand times ten thousand stood before him, the court was seated, and the books were opened. Did Daniel understand what he was looking at? We get later on in, the, in chapter 7 of Daniel that he is terrified, he is afraid, but is he afraid of what he's been seeing because he's confused? Because he doesn't know how to put it, put it together? I don't think so. I think Daniel becomes so terrified, so afraid of this vision that he's having because he understands exactly what he's looking at with this throne room scene. He sees a bunch of fire. And Daniel, as someone who knows his Old Testament, who knows his Bible, knows that oftentimes when God reveals his powerful, miraculous, vengeful presence, it is with fire. Think at the tabernacle, and later at the temple, leading the Israelites through the wilderness, and then later in the New Testament at Pentecost. Fire is there when God wants human beings to notice God is present in this place. And so there's fire all over the place in this, in this vision. And in fact, there's a throne, a throne with wheels, looking kind of like a chariot, one of the most advanced pieces of military technology in Daniel's day, and it's all on fire. It's the most uncomfortable throne you could possibly imagine. No human being can sit on this throne, but it is taken by no human being. The invincible, immortal, ancient of days in the book of Daniel is Daniel's name, for God himself sits on this flaming throne. And his hair and his clothes are pure white, white as can be, white to symbolize the purity, the righteousness, and the justice that God obtains. And there are thousands and thousands of people around God at this time. They have their own thrones. They are powerful as well. They're way more powerful than Daniel, but they're not any more powerful than God because they are attending to him. And that doesn't mean that they're coming up to God saying, hey, God, can I get you something to drink? Or, hey, God, do you need anything from the kitchen while I'm uh, It's not that kind of attending. They're waiting with bated breath to see what God does, to see what God will say. They're watching for what happens next. And what does happen next, these books are open. God, the Ancient of Days, the Almighty Being, the top dog, the ultimate authority, is about to hold court. And he opens up the evidence logs. He can see what is written throughout history from the greatest act of de declaration of genocidal warfare to the most private of sinful thoughts held by a human being that they thought nobody would be able to tell. It's all there in the books. The Ancient of Days 
knows it all. So I can understand if Daniel was a little bit afraid, can't you? Now we're saying that this is a vision. When you say that someone is having a vision, it kind of distances you from the reality, doesn't it? You kind of take, take a step away. What they're seeing is a metaphor, it's a, it's a vision, but actually what Daniel is seeing is closer to the reality than what you and I see. Let me explain what I mean. What vision is cast of the world most often right now? Is it not that we are just constantly on the brink of destruction and it's up to human beings to make things right? We all have to act right or this country or this world is going to go asunder. This is the vision of the world that evil is just about on the loose and no one is capable of stopping. Isn't this vision that everyone kind of does what they see fit and there's nothing really wrong with that. It's this vision that those of us who teach the Bible or believe the Bible and what it says about how we should live and how we should treat each other, we're kind of the sticks in the mud. We're the ones not having very much fun. Meanwhile, other people who care less about these teachings are having a lot more fun. And what, what's the harm with that? The vision that you have might be that you've been fighting a temptation over and over again and feel like you're losing more often than you're winning, you're wondering what's the point of even fighting again. Or you're looking at what other groups, other religions, other church bodies teach, and they seem to seem to bring a truth that is much more amenable to modern sensibilities, that is much more palatable to what people want to hear. And why do we have to be the ones who are old-timey, old-fashioned and stuff in the past? No, if Daniel is frightened to his core about his vision, it's because he sees things as they are. We are the ones who are more often deceived, aren't we? Because we buy into a vision that God is not in control, that judgment is not coming, that God doesn't actually care about how we live, about how we talk, about how we think. That there are no books that are going to be open, that there is no ultimate authority, that everything is just chaos, and, and God has completely lost control of the wheel. Then Daniel, with this vision, is calling us back. We need to understand that the Ancient of Days is sitting on his throne of fire, and there is going to be a day when accounts will be settled. Don't be tricked by the vision that the world casts of itself. But the vision goes on. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. I wonder if that was kind of anticlimactic. Daniel has just seen four magnificent large creatures that represent four magnificent large kingdoms, and Daniel had suffered at the hands of two or four of those kingdoms. Daniel had seen all these amazing things. He even saw an image of God himself or what a human being could stand to be able to see and survive, and then he sees that something else is going to happen. He sees that something is coming next, and so he looks together with the countless multitude there with the Ancient of Days, and it is a guy. It's a person. 
Daniel looks and he sees someone. He says to himself, hey, that guy looks quite like me. A son of man. Another way of saying a human being. Cut from the same human cloth that the rest of us are. I wonder if that was a little bit anti-climactic. Now, if Superman is an alien, why does he look exactly like the rest of us? Why does he look so much like a human being? Okay, he's a little bit more muscular than most of us are. But if he's truly an alien, why does he look like a human being? Well, he only appears to be a human being, right? Inside, what he truly is is an alien from Krypton, and that is going to come in handy when a different alien from a different planet comes and tries to wreak havoc on planet Earth. When someone else comes and tries to threaten us, you're going to be glad that, that Clark Kent is actually Superman and has been the whole time. He is a superpowered alien come to solve superpowered alien problems. Now, I know you're on the same page with me when I say that Superman is not real. The problems that he solves are not real. But he solves them in the ways that we want to see our problems solved. An alien robot comes and threatens Metropolis. What does Superman do? Flies up, beats him up, shoots him with his, with his heat vision, or blows that, that, that cold breath on him or whatever and defeats the enemy. And that's cathartic to us, that's satisfying to us. We want to see our problems punched in the face. But this son of man that appears in Daniel's vision is a human being, has human flesh that is so real that you could touch it, that you could feel it, that you could punch it, that you could pierce a nail through it. This son of man is a human being so real that his heart beats with sadness and joy, with laughter and tears, that his heart is upset when he is betrayed, that he experiences the highs and lows of human life. That is not the kind of hero we would devise for ourselves. That kind of story is not going to sell. But it's the true story. That's your Savior who took on human flesh. He is true God, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but he is truly human. He is in every sense a son of man cut from our cloth. Why? Because he came to solve the problems that we actually have, not the fictional problems that we cook up and put in comic books. Jesus came to solve the problems I and you would rather ignore, would rather forget about, would rather cover over, but he came for exactly that, to solve our guilt, to solve our weakness, to solve death's dominion, its power over us, to solve sin and the devil's power over us. That's what the Son of Man came to do, to solve, and the way he did it was by going through it, was by standing there with his human flesh before Pontius Pilate and suffering at the hands of all human injustice as he was condemned to an execution for no crime whatsoever. As Jesus stood there with his human flesh that was beaten and tortured and whipped and mocked and spat on so that he could say that he went through it all, all of the suffering and pain that human life brings 
he went through. And if Jesus hung on the cross there with his very real human flesh, suffering the anger, the fiery rage of the ancient days against every sin that has ever been committed, so that you could be free, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be saved from death, from sin, and from the power of the devil. Superman is some alien with made-up power to solve made-up problems because he's not real. Jesus Christ is your very real Savior who went through it all to bring you to God. And that is why this happened. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people, peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Let's say, hypothetically, that you took advantage of a Black Friday sale. And let's say, hypothetically, that you didn't have an air fryer, you went out on Black Friday, and one was for sale, you purchased it, and you took it home. And let's just say, hypothetically, that this air fryer is a game changer for you. It has changed your life. It has revolutionized the way that you make everything, from chicken breast to toast to, to eggs, who cares, everything. You put it in the air fryer and you make it there. So now you see yourself, your whole life, your life on a timeline with two sections. You have BAF and AAF. Before air fryer and after air fryer. Because now things are different. You have been gifted by God this new air fryer. The language at the end of this vision is a little confusing. Jesus has been given power and authority and glory. He is true God. Didn't he already have power and authority and glory? Is there a timeline in Jesus' life where he didn't have divine power, did not have divine glory, did not have divine authority, and now he does? No. He is true God, and there's tons of places in Scripture we could go to prove that, but we don't need to go anywhere else. We can stay in this lesson right here. The fact that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom is an invincible kingdom, that's something you can only say about God himself. He takes a seat on the throne, the throne of the Ancient of Days. He shares the throne with God, therefore he's God himself. And he is to be worshipped, and worship itself is something that only God, true God, deserves. Jesus has always been God, from eternity and into eternity, but he became a son of man. When he robed himself in, in human flesh, so that you could be robed in his righteousness, so that he could be pierced on a cross, he took on that flesh. And according to Jesus' human nature, because he achieved, accomplished God's purposes of being your savior, he was awarded, rewarded, with divine power and glory and grace. Which means that Jesus is sitting on the throne right now as God, as the one who can actually read minds, as the one who actually knows all the events of history and can predict the future, as the one who knows everything that you have done and everything that you are going through, he is the ultimate authority, the ultimate power. No one can mess with Jesus despite appearances. 
It might seem like evil is on the loose and no one can do a thing to stop it, but Jesus has answered evil with his cross, and he will answer it finally on the last day. It might seem like everyone is just cutting loose and doing whatever they see fit, but Jesus is actively working through his church and through his word to bring people to God. And this Jesus who sits on the throne with his ultimate authority and power and glory is the same Jesus who sat on a cross and bled for you. So Jesus is not some king who's doing his own thing and you are like a reed swaying in the winds of history. The very one who controls all kingdoms at all times is the same one who declares to you his everlasting love and his grace. That means that no matter how bad things get for you, no matter how hard things are, no matter how tough temptation is, your Savior still reigns. And his kingdom is the only thing that will last forever. Pain will not last forever. Death will not last forever. Sin will not last forever. The devil will not last forever. But because you are in Christ's kingdom, you will last forever. Into eternity with your Lord and King 